Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Frank and Kathy are baby boomer parents. Sadie and Caitlin are their millennial daughters. Frank is screaming towards a midlife crisis. Kathy pretends she's happy and doesn't drink that much wine. Sadie is the good child, convinced her first and only boyfriend is the one to marry, and Caitlin is the rebel, the entertainer, and the truth teller who will not filter what she's feeling. Over three days with drama and humor, this crap-happy family careens and skids straight towards a fateful anniversary on the way they realize that they are more alike than they know. The film is called King of Knives, and we're joined today by the producer, co-screenwriter, as well as the lead actor of the film, and that would be Gene Pope. Gene, welcome to Film School Radio. Happy to be here. A little bit of the backstory of King of Knives, and it seems to have come from a very personal place for you in terms of how the film got started. Tell us a little bit about what's the what's behind the making of King of Knives. You know, I, I don't think I'm alone in as someone who's gone through kind of a midlife crisis. And mine happened at a relatively early age because my father had passed away when I was pretty young. I was like 38 and something, you know, just kind of went. And then it was like, what is my purpose in life? What am I doing here? Ah, am I happy in my marriage? Ah, you know, and all this stuff started happening. And um Looking back at it, when I popped out the other side, I said, boy, that was a hell of a ride. Uh, it would make a good script. And, and, but at the time, I wasn't in a position where I could uh, put this whole thing together. Uh, and so fast forward then to uh, 2016, and I had uh, worked with Lindsay Joy and uh, had admired her award-winning uh, uh, stage uh, plays and, I said to myself, boy, she's the one that could write a script about this. And so we basically teamed together and closed out many restaurants, many nights, uh, going through my experiences, her experiences, the experience of one of the characters, which is also my youngest daughter, Roxy. Uh, and Lindsay, just over the period of, you know, about almost two years it took to you know, having readings and everything else and working out the kinks and not making it so that the lead character was like, you hate this guy, you know, he's so eh. So we had, so it was finding the humor in life as well and adding that in and that's what we successfully did at the end of it. Yeah. And and that's where it started. There is a point in the, in the film, I think I what you're referring to, the finding that that sweet spot between someone who is going through this kind of trauma, uh, because there's there's been a tragedy in the family. There have been a lot of things going on. And this kind of letting go of the steering wheel, literally and figuratively in the film, uh, is is to find that place for for Frank is is what I think is the key to the success of the film. Yes, I, I agree. We, we knew we were on to something uh, when we we did a final reading and everybody was so enthusiastic about it. I also knew that we had something going here when we started casting we put a wide net out for who would play my wife. Mel Harris was one of the first people. And when she, and she was there at 9 a.m. in the morning for the casting session. And she came in and she said, good script. And, and then it was, and you know, it's good to see that. And, and so she, um, 
it wasn't, we didn't do anything magic to attract her to the project. She saw the project and she liked the script so much. She, she said, you know, I definitely want to get into this part. And she did a wonderful job. And, uh, and, and she was the, uh, such an easy person to work with and with her huge amount of knowledge about uh, movie making, um, every, every day with her was very easy. Her, her character of Kathy, your, your wife, I would say the most grounded of the characters of the main characters in the film, as well as sort of this quiet storm that for her that she's kind of dealing with her own version of what Frank is going through, but in a very different way. She's processing it very differently than, than Frank is. So, so there is that contrast, so you, which you need in a film like this. You need that kind of dynamic to, to be successful. And you're right about her. I mean, if someone knows good scripts, who's been around a few when, in her career, it certainly would be Mel Harris. I really enjoyed her, her role in, in her performance in this. And then you have your sort of wild child, uh, Roxy Pope, plays Caitlin, but she has a familiar last name, Roxy Pope. Is that Roxy just Pope, coincidental yes. or, pardon me? No, that she, she's my youngest daughter. Okay. And uh, <laughs> we, went, we went to two-year acting conservatories at the same time, different ones. Uh, I was at Maggie Flanagan, she went to Bill Espers. Uh, and, 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 but I also saw for years that Roxy had this natural ability as, as an actress. And, you know, I didn't groom her to be an actress or an actor at all. It was just sort of something where, you know, we, we started doing a couple little films together, her and I, and, uh, and, and we just found it very easy to work with each other. And so when when this role came along, like I was saying, we kind of wrote it for her, uh, about her. And no, she's not exactly like Caitlin, but she definitely has elements of Caitlin. And she has this pukish sense of humor that just, you know, there's a there's more than a little improvisation in the movie, too, in certain places. And she is she studied improv in Chicago for years now. And so, you know, she would just pop an extra line in there and people would fall over and it was like that's a great take take it <laughs> and and but it was a pleasure working with her and and yes when we got on set we basically just we weren't we were daughter and father in the characters in the movie and we were able it wasn't that hard for us to just disconnect from us being real father and daughter we were dealing with the issues uh that were in the movie not our own issues as it were Right, right. That's an interesting dynamic, and that's a great answer because, yeah, how is it when you're in a scene with your with your daughter and you're playing a scene? It's some of them are funny, some of them are are very dramatic, and so and just finding that space where where you can that that sort of cognitive dissonance that you need a little bit of in order to really follow through on the character, and then we've got the your the the good child of Sadie. Uh, and uh, that that her and she's got her own relationship. She's she's uh, obviously very interested in in mar getting married and moving on with her life. It's a it's a good dynamic all the way around. You get you, there's a lot of things to play with, but you are the you are the free radical in this. You are the catalyst for so much of the of the action. Bearing that responsibility, your producer, your lead actor, and you and you wrote this. What are the things that you bring on a set every day when you're going to work doing something like this? What is the sort of tone you're trying to set as a, as that in those roles? Uh, it's very interesting because again, from, uh, from my training, uh, we learned how to prepare for a role 
And one of the things I found interesting preparing for this role was that there was, other than the emotional turning points and stuff like this, that basically um, what I kept coming back to was that I was kind of just being me because Frank's character, the key to his character is that he's along for the ride. What we're witnessing in this movie is Frank having gone through years of his little midlife crisis. He's the one that's furthest along probably is that he is suddenly realizing that this cost him, this is costing him big time, but he didn't realize it, but he's awakening to what it's costing him and that what he has not become enlightened with uh, about his life and what he has done to those that he loves. And he, doesn't, and he doesn't get it. And so he is constantly like this feather that's being blown around. And so rather than creating this powerful character or something like that, he's just the opposite, but he's not a, he's not a, you know, like a, a weak person. He, he's strong in his own way. You know, he, he, he has a partnership in an advertising agency. He's run many big accounts. So he's a very successful man. But I've also known a lot of successful men that have this other side where all the wonderful control and power that they have does not reflect how they feel when they're on the outside of that. Yeah. And that's what Frank is. When Frank gets away from that element, he he's actually kind of alone and, and, and frustrated and he doesn't understand why his daughter is this way and the other daughter is that way. And what are you doing? You're getting married to the first guy you meet and, and, and his wife and him, it's like, have obviously had years of that ennui that kind of settles in this lower basin, basin of uh, marriage failure, as it were. Uh, where they just kind of, they don't, you know, they, 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 they're just getting to that point where they're, they're getting there and they don't even know exactly how they got there other than it took years and years to get there. Right. And they suddenly are looking at each other going, do I know you? I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with the, as I said, the producer, writer, and lead actor, of this wonderful narrative film that's out as of uh, just Tuesday, the December 1st, is it was its release on video on demand. The film is called King of Knives, and you uh, should be looking for it. It's on what I call the usual suspects, iTunes, Amazon, Apple TV, Google Play, Fandango, Now, and other major cable and satellite platforms. I think that covers it. And if they want to know more about the film, they can go to kingofknivesthemovie.com, find out more about, about the film, about the people in it. John Delgado, the director, and those kinds of things. And I, I was looking through your resume. You have a pretty strong theater background. And I think, that, is that what, one of the ways in which you got to know Lindsay Joy, is, I, I, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. And you go back and forth between film, television, and theater. Do you have a preference? Do you feel like one reinforces the other? Is there some, is there something in that kind of... Um, I, I would say, I would say uh, that experiencing all the different ones rounds you out as an actor because think about it when you're looking at an actor on a stage you're really not that close to their face so what it's really about is is what is the body language and what is the voice doing that informs you about this character uh, in film it's a much more intimate situation you know you're looking at the face and the close-up of the face so uh, <clears throat> with stage you may be acting, for lack of a better word, a little more broadly, still has to be authentic, but you're a little broader with your body language. Whereas if you used kind of the same body language in 
in a movie, you would be out of frame all the time. <laughs> you can't, you have to stay still within certain parameters and it has to all be here intimately in the face. So it's really, it's too, it's not like you're doing less inside, uh, but you're expressing it in different ways for the different mediums. And, and that's mm -hmm. the biggest difference, but that doing both keeps you sharp is the best way to explain it, you know? Not an actor, um, but I do know that it, it, what I've heard other theater performers describe that sort of projecting to the back row approach to acting. You have to be able to reach everyone in a room and you're right to be that sort of up close and personal. It definitely is a, it's a different skill set. Uh, you had mentioned, or we had talked before we began our on-air conversation about you had initially had intended to direct this film and you you brought aboard John Delgado as the director. You'd worked with him before. Uh, that working through a relationship like that, having worked with him, obviously that gives you a certain advantage to knowing how he works. But what's that like for you as this sort of, this is your project, but here you're going to hand it off and you're going to be on set all the time <laughs> with yep. him, right? It's not just like a producer handing it off. You're actually intimately involved. Um, what's that relationship like with you and, and the director, John Delgado? Um, well, it was very, it was very useful. Uh, it was very productive. Um, I, there are definitely actors who can also be their own directors. Um, one of the things that I've always believed in all the years I was working up to this point in various things, uh, as a producer, as a director and all these things, my belief system was that if you want to be at your best, that you have to hire people who know let's say directing better than you do. Yeah. You need to hire a director of photography who knows how to light better than you do. You have to hire a sound guy that's better than you do. You, 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 by parceling this out, it isn't that you're trying to make your, yes, it makes the job easier as you get older because I'm not exactly in my twenties or anything near it. Um, but, but the point being for me is that, is that I wanted to tap other people's ideas. Yeah because that is what uh, makes the movie grow and fill out and have multi-dimensions is that everybody is thinking from their vantage point. So the only thing that I really had to check with, with John was, was his vision of where the movie had to get. Was that similar? Similar, it didn't have to be exactly the same. Was it similar to what I was thinking? And the answer was absolutely yes. Yeah. And so, you know, we had a lot of time like picking what kind of car Frank should drive and stuff like this. And <laughs> nice car, that. by the way. By the way, <laughs> nice but choice. It was like, we saw the picture of that that car with the white interior and red exterior and went, yes, <laughs> yes, definitely that's the car for Frank. <laughs> yeah, well, the, and there's an interesting dynamic and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is John Delgado's first, first directorial sitting in yeah. that seat. Yeah. And for you as well, in, in, in a sense of this is your first significant project feature feature length film. Yes. That those sort of two of you on this journey together in, in, a, in a manner of speaking, is that a fair way to put it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we but one of the things that helped and one of the reasons I, I was very intrigued with bringing John on is that, you know, John works has worked for 25 years in, in, in episodic television. And he has all these wonderful craftsmen that basically, let's say 10 months out of the year, nine to 10 months out of the year, they make their nut. 
right? They're working and they're do doing very well, but it's exhausting. And it isn't always creatively what you want to be doing, but it's the job. Now, what we did was we took the opportunity of the two month rest between seasons. And, and as John explained to me is that I have a bunch of guys that would just love to work on something that means more, uh, but do it at the same skill level. And that's what we ended up with is yeah. that we had people that were working at the, you know, the IATSE minimums and everything else. And the same thing with SAG, it was like lower budget scale and everybody was happy to do it because it was about the project. So everybody was pulling in the same direction. Yeah. And that was something that was so gratifying to me because it was like, yes, the vision is going to, this is going to be a great vision here, you know? Yeah. And also I would think if the their if their background is in episodic television, that's also not quite a run and gun sort of operation because you're usually in a set place. And but it, but nonetheless, it's you have to be hitting your marks. You have to be you have to get, be getting through how many pages a day when you're in doing episodic television. No one's going to wait. They're going to push that deadline back. So I'm sure he, he brings that skill set of being able to manage this in a very efficient way as well, right? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, that was one thing that we were all amazed at was how quickly the crew would reposition the cameras. And we had two cameras going at once. Um, and uh, it was like, we didn't have a lot of time to reset. Uh, and like a lot of independent filmmaking, you, 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 you are waiting for stuff to, to get finished. But there was no waiting here. I mean, there was some, but there wasn't that much. One time, uh, the director of photography, Saad Mustafa, he's brilliant. He, I love how his stuff looks. You put it on the big screen in the theater and it's just like, oh my God, it's a whole nother dimension <laughs> compared to like a digital TV, what have you. He came over once when we were shooting the dining room scene <clears throat> and he said, how do you guys do this? He says, you know, when we're on TV, it's like we get two pages done, whatever, and then we move on to different actors. And you guys are doing seven pages of script over and over and over again. <laughs> and basically we all just point, held up our finger and said, theater. <laughs> we have to do an entire script. We're memorizing this for a month before we start, you know. We're so familiar with the script. It's like, yeah, seven pages, how many pages you want? Let's just do this, you know. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, uh, well, congratulations on King of Knives. And uh, are you, are you bitten? Are you, do you want to continue to, to uh, do this as a director or producer? Or, you know, how, how do you? Well, you know, I'll be honest with you. I love the craft of creating a character. And I would like to do that until, let's say, I'm old enough that I can't remember my lines. I've always said to people, I'll start directing again when I can't remember my lines. <laughs> then I'll direct. But here's the, here's the takeaway, is that we've already, we're already a year into A King of Knives 2. Because it's such a natural progression that now that the, the ending is, is the ending of the movie, and everybody is kind of, you know going in their different directions and resolving their characters. Just imagine the possibilities of where their stories are going in, in step two of their midlife and quarter life crises. And yeah. so uh, we are already deep into that. And uh, we definitely want to get on that once we're, you know, we're through with getting this all distributed and, and getting to as many people as we possibly can. Well, all the best, all the best on that. Yeah, you're right. The story is definitely, there's a lot of loose ends at the end of the film. And uh, 
Well, congratulations again on King of Knives. As I said, it is, if you want to find out more about it, you can go to kingofknivesthemovie.com. Find out um, about the film, about the people in the film, as well as where it's screening. But I'll tell you that it's now screening on iTunes, Amazon, Apple TV, Google Play, Fandango Now, and all the major cable and satellite platforms. So there it is. Yeah. Paul, thank you. The, the uh, producer, writer, uh, lead actor, Bon Vivant, thank you so very much. For Mike, it was, a, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music